in this edition of Hoosology. Justin and Matt welcome PHNX lead Suns writer and podcast co-host Gerald Bourget. Gerald discusses if Phoenix will make a move at the trade deadline, how the new owner of the Suns, Matt Ishiba, plans to improve the culture of the Suns, the fan base reaction to the new owner, if the Suns can make a run back to the top of the Western Conference, and a lot more. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well for new content. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Gerald Bourget. And the Suns have been a team we've been constantly tracking you know, ever since that period. So they're always a fascinating watch throughout the rest of the NBA. So it's awesome to have you on. So that's kind of a general question. We've been asking a lot of our you know, insiders we've had on the show so far. Just about this season, a lot of parity. It's really tight within both conferences right now. The Suns currently sit seventh within the Western Conference of, of, as of this recording of this podcast. Where are you in terms of how they performed this season? Are they meeting below expectations? Are you optimistic about it? They make some moves at the trade deadline. Like, where are you? Where are your overall feelings about this team as we head towards the All Star break? Yeah, I think you look at their overall record and their place in the West and the natural inclination is to be a little disappointed. This is a team that won 64 games last year and honestly should have won a title. They honestly beat themselves more than the Mavs did in that second round series. It was really uncharacteristic and kind of hard to watch, but um, injuries have played a huge part in that as well this season. Like there's, there's no beating around the bush on that. They've had guys in roles that they wouldn't have imagined. Um, they've missed, you know, Chris Paul missed a month with, a sore right heel and then missed another two weeks with right hip soreness. Devin Booker has been out since Christmas with the groin strain campaign and Landry Shamit have been banged up off and on all season. DA's missed time. Crowder never has even showed up. Um, and then that's leaving out Cam Johnson's major knee surgery that caused him to miss 37 games. So this team really hasn't had a chance to see what their starting lineup looks like a ton. Um, and I think in 67 minutes together, with their preferred starting lineup of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and DA, they've got a plus 33 net rating, which is pretty good. Um, and they were first in the West before injuries started to kind of take over, and they, they hit a little bit of a slump there when they they had a tough schedule. I think they played Pelicans, Rockets, and uh, Celtics in, in the span of a week. So I, I do think this team is still very good once they get healthy. I think they do need to make some moves on the fringes at the trade deadline um, to kind of bolster their chances. But if they can get Devin Booker back here soon and just kind of tread water until then, um, you look at the standings, there's really not a ton of separation outside of maybe the top two teams and the rest of the pack. So they could definitely make up some ground and mess around and get home court advantage before all is said and done. So what moves do you think they need to make at the trade deadline? I heard some leaked rumblings that Matt Ishiba might be pretty aggressive as he's, you know, getting into his tenure as the owner of this team. Do you see the Suns being hyper-aggressive at the trade deadline? I don't know about hyper-aggressive, but I do think they they need to make a move and they should make at least some sort of move when you look at the roster needs. Um, and, you know, new owners typically like to make a splash if you go back to the last couple of owners that have taken over um, as soon as they've gotten in, they've made a, a big move to get people excited about the new ownership. I wouldn't be surprised to see something similar here, especially because the Suns are very close to being a favorite out West with one or two moves. Um, you know, I think ball handling is definitely a big area of need with this team. Uh, Mikhail Bridges has done a great job, especially with Chris Paul and Devin Booker out for that stretch 
of taking on more of the playmaking, the ball handling, the facilitating duties. Um, but, you know, campaign kind of proved in last year's playoff series, he's not necessarily reliable in big moments. Um, and he's been banged up all season. Landry Shamit, another guy they like to let him operate with the ball, has not been great since he's been in the Suns uniform. Uh, and he's also been banged up. So you need a little bit of depth at that guard spot because outside of Paul, Booker, and Payne, your only other real ball handlers are Dwayne Washington Jr., who's on a two-way contract, and Saban Lee, whose 10-day contract just expired. So not a ton of guard depth. They could use some help there. They could also use some size um, and rebounding at the four spot. You know, Cam Johnson's great. He attacks mismatches as a floor spacer, but they could use a little bit more oomph at that position. Um, and then, of course, there's the, you know, the constant discussion around this team needing a, a certified number two star next to Devin Booker. You know, Chris Paul was that guy for the last two years. He's taken a step back. He's looked great over the last handful of games since he's returned. Um, but you need somebody that you can depend upon. And at this point, the Suns kind of shuffle through Chris Paul, McHale, Cam, and DA as their number two options. So they do have the chips to put to the table if they if a star does become available, but looking at the market, it's kind of hard to see where that would come from. Yeah. And, and we've heard, and of course things can change so quickly in this league. So you never know, but we've, we've kind of heard from other folks that we've talked about other guests we've had on that they think it's going to be a pretty quiet trade deadline overall compared to what people are <laughs> expecting. But you mentioned like a lot of needs there that this team has. Are there any names floating around that you've heard that have kind of like piqued your interest or you see as more realistic and more potential for them to happen than others? Yeah. I mean, and you touched on it. It is kind of a seller's market. You know, you've, you've, when you hear that the bulls are holding out for two first round picks for Alex Caruso, like, I mean, what are we going to do here? Nobody's going to yeah. get traded if that's what's no. going on. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I look at like Bojan Bogdanovic was a name that came up before the season mm. started. Um, he's a guy that gives you a little bit of secondary creation, can get his own shot. That's something the Suns could use more of on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, Eric Gordon is a name that keeps coming up and he would be kind of a lower cost target for the Suns. Um, especially because they need to make a Jay Crowder trade of some sort, just so that's not burning a hole in their pocket all season, that roster slot. Um, OG and Anobi came up. That's obviously a more ambitious target. And then there's Pascal Siakam, all the speculation over him. Um, would the Suns be willing to meet Toronto's obviously pretty high asking price for either one of those guys? I'm not sure. Would the Suns be better off just keeping Cam Johnson instead of trading him for a guy like Anunoby? Again, I'm not sure. It depends on what they would try to re-sign him to over the summer. Um, but those are those are some of the names that have come up. There's honestly, there's been a ton. It's hard to keep track. I know Jordan Clarkson and Jared Vanderbilt, a package built around them, would address multiple, you know, check multiple boxes for them. So those are some of the guys that I'm kind of looking at, um, especially because, you know, like you said, a lot of the big names that we thought might be there probably aren't going to be there. Um, just given how jumbled the standings are. And I think the fact that the play-in slots open up teams to be a little bit more competitive rather than sell and, and dump guys at the deadline. Awesome. Yeah. And um, it, it sounds like, you know, from, from what you were saying towards the beginning, when Justin mentioned the standings and everything still seems like things pretty calm in Phoenix. Do you get the, the sense that's 
what the fan base is feeling right now? Is there any movement of the hand towards the panic button with them being, you know, in seventh place? Granted, as you mentioned, uh, well put, the West is bunched together in that close to 500 type of record. Um, So what's your sense of panic maybe within the organization or otherwise what you're seeing on social media and otherwise? Yeah, I mean, the team itself is not panicking. They've always kind of held to the firm belief like, look, we're going to be okay once we get our guys back. Um, and, and I think they're right to do so. Like they proved last year that they're capable of stringing together wins pretty quickly. Um, the fan base has not been as optimistic. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a fan base that watched this team win 64 wins last year and you know completely trip over themselves in a game seven at home against a Mavs team that I think heading into the playoffs they had beaten something like seven or nine straight times um so it's a little less optimistic on that front there has been a lot of criticism as far as DA's defense um you know Mikhail Bridges not stepping up when they had guys injured Cam Johnson his durability I'm not in that same boat by any stretch I think if you look at the standings like the Suns put together multiple win streaks last season. Uh, they could win five games in a row and be, you know, back and forth in the West, just like that. <laughs> like it, it really is a matter of kind of taking the hits as they come, as far as the injuries are concerned. Um, and once they get Booker back, I mean, he was carrying too heavy of a load, but the hope is that with the extra duties that McHale and DA have had to take on in his absence, it'll make this team a little bit more complete a little bit tougher to defend in the playoffs uh, so that he's not having to carry an immense load, which he, he was to start the season. He was playing at a borderline MVP level, which is great, but he, they were having him do way too much. And I think now the hope is that once he comes back, they will be a little bit more balanced and can make a run. Gerald, can you take us into the Suns fan base? You mentioned how they're becoming very impatient, but can you kind of give us a snapshot in terms of, the Robert Sauver era compared to the Matt Ishiba era, just in terms of optimism, just in terms of kind of this, their feelings towards the team besides their performance on the court. I think I read one of your articles saying that the fan base did not like Robert Sauver. Mm-hmm. And I was talked to other insiders that the fan base doesn't have a great relationship with the owner, but on a national level, you don't really hear that so much unless there's a scandal or something like that. So I just want to ask you, like, what is kind of that relationship with Sarver, like besides kind of the encore performance event, do you see them more optimistic about this new era and with the Phoenix Suns? Yeah, I think fans are definitely optimistic and we don't know a ton about Ishbia yet because he hasn't like officially taken over, but based on what we've read and heard about him, listened to him, his appearances on podcasts, just trying to glean whatever information we can. Um, he seems like he has good values that would kind of mesh very well with the same sort of culture that Monty Williams and James Jones have tried to build here. I, I don't know what that says about their future here. I think Monty is fine. James Jones, we'll see. Uh, you know, a lot of times when owners come in, they like to bring in their own guys. So we'll see what that amounts to, but he does seem to run his company with the family values that he was raised on. Obviously he was a former basketball player himself, which can either be a good thing because he understands the landscape and he has people that he can relate to, or it could be a bad thing if he thinks he knows too much and meddles a little bit too much and doesn't trust people to do their job. So um, we'll see, but there's definitely a ton of optimism because he is investing a ton in this franchise and looking at this team's cap sheet going into next season, 
there's, you know, a 0% chance that they're not going to be headed for luxury tax territory again. So you want an owner that's going to invest in the community, that's going to invest in the team, be willing to make those payments, be committed to winning a championship. Um, obviously, he's a little bit younger, so he he gets the game a little bit more. Um, and then there's the obvious thing of he's not Robert Sarver. He's not a stain or a blemish on the franchise's reputation. Um, you know, reading the investigative findings, I know a lot of people that worked for the organization for multiple years. I know people that work there still now. Um, and it was a miserable work environment. It was a toxic place. So just by getting an owner that, you know, maybe doesn't do things like drop the N-word or, you know, sexually harass employees or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> like that's a step up just by itself. Yeah, right? So there's there's a ton of optimism for Ishbia in terms of the competitiveness, but just as a base level, you know, hopefully he'll treat people like human beings. And that's a great start. And it seems like he's really, Ishbia is walking into or, or buying into a great situation with what the Suns have, you know, at, at least in terms of like Bridges, Booker, and DA as kind of this like cornerstone you can build on uh, heading forward. You know, my mind goes to Steve Ballmer buying the Clippers, and I would say this is an even better situation to come into than, than that purchase. Um, I guess... When when you look at where the Suns are headed, what is the relationships like between that group? We know that Chris mm -hmm. Paul can be, you know, very combative, aggressive, which I think to his credit is is a good thing in many cases, but it can also wear on people. Um, but how in terms of what you're seeing, reading and listening to, um, what is the chemistry like with that team right now? We know there's been you know, issues in the past with DA and the, the contract business that wasn't smooth to put it lightly. Um, where do you think they stand right now? Yeah, I, I think it's in a good place. It's been better, obviously last year when you're rolling through the league and, and beating everybody, it's going to be at an all time high. Sure. This season was difficult and they got off to a five and one start to their credit before, you know, guys start going injured, but um it's tough when you look at the summer, just the way that they went out in that playoff series would have been tough enough, but then you compound it with the DA contract situation with, um, you know, the Jay Crowder holdout heading into training camp with all the Kevin Durant rumors that pretty much put everybody's name except for Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the trade block at various points. Like there was a lot of things that um, probably should have been hashed out over the summer and maybe weren't. And these guys love each other, like Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. They call each other twins and, and DA. They call him their triplet. Like a lot of guys that come in here rave about the culture, the work ethic of these guys, the camaraderie. Um, but it can be demanded when you have your point guard is Chris Paul, a guy who historically expects a lot from his players, especially big men. When you have a guy like Devin Booker, who's the ultimate competitor and, and you know, often acts the same way. And when you've got a guy like DA who, let's be frank, he's a fun-loving personality, but he's maybe not always as focused or laser-locked in as some of these other guys are. Um, and those type of things can clash every now and then. I, I'm sure DA is not oblivious to a lot of the criticism he gets from the fan base for you know, the, the step he's taken backward on the defensive end, the inconsistency in his performances – it's been something that's come up for years now and you would hope in year five for a number one overall pick that some of those issues would have been ironed out by now. Um, but I, I do think 
he does want to be here, whether he, you know, wouldn't be happier somewhere else. I can't say, I, I think he's happy here now, as long as the team is winning and that's hopefully what they're going to start doing. And that, you know, winning cures everything. If this team comes through and wins a title, all this other stuff is going to be blown by the wayside. But for now, especially over the last month, when you're dealing with some losing streaks, um, that kind of stuff can come to the forefront and to their credit, they never kind of had those moments where it felt like, oh, shoot, like this team is needs to be broken up or somebody's got to go. Yeah, it's interesting to see similar patterns repeat themselves, you know, with this DA and kind of Booker, Chris Paul situation. It, it kind of reminds me of a reiteration, granted, very different individuals. DA hasn't had the dominance that Shaq had, but, you know, you think of like a Shaq Kobe type of scenario where, Kobe was always kind of, um, I guess, resentful of, of Shaq, you know, from what we've heard, uh, just in his lack of work ethic in some instances, you know, chasing that fame. Um, what have you heard in terms of like the how Booker and Chris Paul are pushing DA lately? I, I remember hearing, I believe, two seasons ago after they had their bubble run, uh, the season after that, you know, DA had some responses to questions he was asked about Chris Paul um, and, and the way that he was pushing him. And it seemed like he was able to handle that and, and sort of channel that very effectively. How do you think he's doing with that lately? And do you think that, um, you know, Chris Paul and Booker have learned ways to kind of manage their sort of coaching and direction a little better? Yeah. So I, I think to DA's credit, especially when you're playing, when your two guards are Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they're going to demand a lot out of you. They're going to expect a lot out of you. These are two, uh, they call themselves sickos as far as basketball is concerned, because they are, they're hoopers. Like they're diehard hoopers. They know the game. They watch the game every night. They study it. Um, they look for every competitive advantage they can find. Um, and DA is just not necessarily built that same way. You know, he's not to say that these other guys don't have family values or whatever, but he's very, uh, like I said, he's a fun loving guy. He likes to enjoy living life and basketball is not necessarily, at least the way he conducts himself, doesn't seem to be like the number one driving thing that gets him up in the morning. And that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it, it can lead to clashes. Like I mentioned, and I think he's done a good job during that time of being very receptive and open to constructive criticism of taking a lot of the things that they tell him and putting it into action. The problem is with DA, it, it's hard to keep him locked in on those same things on a night-to-night basis. Like it, it's not not to say he's not focused or he's he doesn't try hard enough or whatever, but it feels like we go through recurring cycles of like, okay, now this is an issue again. So we address it, we talk about it. Now something that we had talked about before comes up again. Like when when we saw him in the playoffs during that finals run, that was the most incredible thing about him was a couple months before that in the regular season, he was getting benched in fourth quarters because he couldn't stay on the floor against small ball lineups. And then you fast forward a few months to the playoffs, a flip, just a switch just flipped. And he looked like an all NBA caliber guy. He looked like a future all-star on both ends of the court. He was their most consistent X factor throughout that finals run and watching it, it's like, wow, this is what he's fully capable of when he's totally locked in every single game. Um, it's hard to do that for 82 games in a regular season and then turn it up an, another notch in the playoffs. 
Um, I will say, I, I do think that the fan base's criticism of him, uh, it can weigh on your mind and it can make it harder to take direction when you feel like you're constantly the source of scapegoating or you're constantly the guy that's pointed at. Um, but he, he loves his guys and Chris and book. It's never coming from a place of like, you're holding us back or like you should be better than you are. It's always, we know what you're capable of. We are calling, this is something Monty says all the time. We're calling you up, not calling you out. Um, I think that's how they approach it, but sometimes it can lead to, um, tense interactions or, or some tension because these guys are high, you know, top competitors against some of the world's other elite competitors on a night to night basis. So one more question on that. Do you, when do you think the breaking point is? Because mm-hmm. the Suns' expectations have changed. I mean, it's no mm-hmm. longer just to, you know, go to the Western Conference Finals or even go to the finals is to win a championship. So mm-hmm. we have a few more years where the team's not meeting those expectations. Do, is there a breaking point or do you think loyalty will win out in, in the case of like Dirk and Dallas, where it seems like there was a huge loyalty to him and eventually they, he did win the title. Um, do you yeah. see that situation playing out something like with Dirk or do you see it where, you know, the organization may have to part ways with Deandre if that performance is not improving, you know, on a consistent basis. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that example. Cause the key difference there is obviously Dirk was the face of the franchise sure. and here in Phoenix, DA is not that guy. He's a beloved guy, especially as a U of A alum and uh, kind of a hometown kid. But, you know, I I do wonder what the breaking point might be because the way that it's gone, I think the Suns are fine as long as they're winning. But guess what? Once you get to the playoffs, only one team wins it all. So at some point, someone's going home disappointed. And for a team that has title aspirations, if it's the Suns that goes home at any point during the playoffs, you have to wonder, unless it's the finals, you have to wonder, okay, are we getting close to a breaking point? Because a lot of times when the Suns get beat, it's not DA's fault, but there's a definite difference between their success and their, their failures based on how locked in he is. So I do think if there is a playoff series, especially like last year where he, you know, they start off great the first two games, they go up 2-0, and then they lose four of the next five to lose a series – if something like that happens again, especially if it's as early in the playoffs as it was last year, I do think there's a potential, there's a possibility that tempers flare up. Like another, I don't think we'll ever see a game quite like that game seven again on, especially on their home floor, but something like that isn't out of the questions. If the Suns fall short of expectations, especially if DA is the one that is not picking up the slack because Right now, and we've seen this for the last two years, regular season kind of inconsistent. He's mostly been able to turn it on in the playoffs. If he doesn't do that and the Suns go home because of it, I do think there's a possibility that all of the external pressure, all of the outside narratives, all of that kind of builds up into something that words are said that maybe can't be taken back. Um, and, And maybe at that point, the Suns do consider trading DA for that number two superstar alongside book um, because they, the Suns have always kind of held the belief looking around the league, like the Warriors won last year, starting Kevon Looney at center. You don't need an elite mm-hmm. center. Obviously you'd love to have a Jokic or an Embiid, but most teams don't have that guy. And a lot of the teams that have won titles recently don't need that guy. So rather than devoting max money to a center who doesn't really create much of his own offense and has been kind of disengaged at times on defense, I do think if this season goes south and he's part of the reason why, 
They could look to move him in the offseason, and he might, you know, his trade veto privileges come up. They end after a year from his signing. So uh, it, it's a possibility for sure. Yeah, it's great points, and it's it's hard to imagine that you could, as a franchise, and just any franchise, not the not only the Phoenix Suns, but go through this window where you have such high expectations. And then, you know, in Phoenix's case, I mean, it seems like if they miss out on this window where they have Chris Paul on the roster, then it's it's kind of everyone except Booker is on the table is, is how I would kind of see it. Um, but I guess you never know uh, what can happen. And mention that like cornerstone that they potentially have moving forward because DA is still so young. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on the West in general kind of versus the Eastern conference, you know, the Eastern conference is so lauded with the Celtics. um, And of course the Nets make a lot of headlines for various reasons, but um, how do you see the Western conference stacking up against the Eastern conference? I mean, do you think there really is as big of a disparity between the two conferences uh, as it seems like is kind of the general narrative right now? Yeah. You know, I, I think they're, I think it's a valid point. It's wild because it wasn't that long ago that the West was just significantly better than the East year in and year out. Um, And now the pendulum's kind of shifted a little bit. I I think there are some Western conference teams that can give the East problems. Um, You look at the teams over there, the Celtics are obviously the elite team out there. The Sixers have come on really strong in recent weeks. Um, The Nets have a ton of talent. And then there's the Bucks who you can never count out once Chris Middleton is fully healthy you know, they've got championship experience. They could easily win a title again. Um, I, I don't think the margin for error is quite as large with some of these Western Conference teams, especially because because of the way the standings are so jumbled. It's going to be a bloodbath just to get there. Yeah. Um, I, I think in the East, you can point to four teams that could probably win it. In the West, you could honestly name like seven or eight, and I wouldn't fault you for thinking that they could win it all. Like the Kings are number three in the West and look good. Um, But I I do think I look to the Nuggets, the Pelicans and the Suns as three teams that I think could honestly put up a good fight in a series. I think the Pelicans would probably fall short in a final series because they just don't have the experience. They're a little bit younger. They've only got one playoff series under their belt in the last however many years. Um, The Nuggets are a team that I think could make some noise. They're just a very complete, solid team. And then the Suns, if they get healthy, I I don't think people should forget so quickly how good Booker was before he got hurt and how good the Suns team was um, last year and even this year before the injuries started piling up. Yeah, it's fascinating because kind of the only, I guess, two teams that I would say have like a solid track record are both struggling mostly due to injuries, but also other mm-hmm. things would be, you know, of course the Suns that you mentioned in and, and the Warriors who have had their struggles this year. Mm-hmm. So I wonder too, how much that throws off like our perception of the true strength of the Western conference. Yeah, it definitely does. And you, you mentioned it, like the Suns are not the only team that's dealing with injuries like the Pelicans. They've been missing Zion and had been missing Brandon Ingram for a long time. The Warriors missing guys left and right. Um, you know, the there's you could go down every single team in the West and be like, oh yeah, that guy missed significant time. That guy's out. Uh, it's hard to keep track, honestly. So that makes it even more difficult to create separation, and it makes it more difficult for us to tell, like, okay, who's actually good in the West? It, it might just come down to 
who gets healthy and who hits their rhythm at the right time, which I think is something that the Suns are holding on to hope as far as like, there's nobody that we're scared of in the West as, as much as John Morant pissed off the entire league by saying that we're not scared of anybody in the West. (laughs) He's kind of right. Maybe not for the Grizzlies specifically. They don't have a great record against the West, but like everybody in the West slots one through probably 10 should feel like if we make a good trade at the deadline, or if we get healthy, we've got a shot at making a, a decent playoff run here. Gerald, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media, uh, where they can find your work, um, the podcast, anything else you're working on as well. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys for having me on. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Gerald Borgay if you are interested in Suns reporting and writing and that kind of thing. Um, All my articles are on gophnx.com. And then we have our podcast, the PHNX Suns podcast. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, Uh, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome, Gerald. Thank you so much. Gerald, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media, uh, where they can find your work, um, the podcast, anything else you're working on as well. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys for having me on. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Gerald Borgay if you are interested in Suns reporting and writing and that kind of thing. Um, all my articles are on gophnx.com. And then we have our podcast, the PHNX Suns podcast. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, uh, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome, Gerald. Thank you so much.